and got together again with my college friend and duo piano partner, Janine Morrison, for concerts. I thought it was important to continue using what talent I have. To be perfectly honest, I started playing again because it was fun and because I knew it was good for me. Just as exercise keeps our bodies fit, so I truly believe the piano work keeps my brain agile. I also had an ulterior motive, the hope that my sons would eventually feel freer, knowing that I wasn't solely invested in them and their lives. As an only child, I knew the ambivalence of being the subject of my parents' near adoration. Part of me thoroughly enjoyed their attention, and at the same time, I felt a definite burden of trying to please both of them. A difficult journey at times, to be sure. Fred and I always allowed each other our own space. Fred's sister wasn't adopted into the family until he was 11. So, essentially, we were both only children. And it was obvious to both of us that we each needed our own space. But even when we were apart, we were connected. I couldn't help getting caught up in Fred's world. For the last 25 years of his life, everywhere we went, people would come up to him to say hello. He loved hearing their stories. One of the worst jobs was moving him along in a crowd. Everyone wanted to talk with him, and he loved their stories. He would just keep on asking questions so he could get to know more about them. He had a heart that had room for everyone, and he was fascinated by other people's journeys. That's probably why he loved the fan mail so much. He always brought home copies of letters to share with me. In his answers, he wanted to give the same attention and respect that he felt the writers had put into their letters. There was even a time in the mid-1960s when he'd bring the mail home, and after the boys were in bed, we would sit at the dining room table while he'd write out the answers. It's a good thing we weren't paid by the hour because it was mighty slow work. We'd have to stop and read almost every one out loud to each other. Fred is still with me most of the time. There's hardly a minute that I don't think about it. A lot of my language contains we and our. He's so much a part of my ongoing journey. I'm still getting letters from people who continue to care about his work. Their stories are real treasures and warm my heart. I have the boxes of mail in the corner of my dining room. Most of them answered and some yet to do. You know, Fred wasn't a TV star to them. They tell me that they thought of him as a personal friend and that he meant so much to their children. That would have pleased him. Almost all of them added something like, and we watch too. It touches me deeply that these loving neighbors want to share their sense of Fred with me. After Fred died, I was asked to take his place at a number of events where he'd been scheduled to give a speech. Fred had always spoken so beautifully, and I really wasn't comfortable taking his place. But when I realized that these audiences were Fred's loving friends and that they didn't expect me to be Fred, I actually started to enjoy it. Now I speak occasionally, and I just try to be myself. 
Another big part of my life now is my involvement with those who are committed to carrying on Fred's legacy, especially the amazingly gifted staff members at Family Communications Incorporated, who have become my extended family. FCI is the nonprofit company that Fred founded in 1971. Much of his spirit is still there at FCI, where so many hours of his life were spent. Some of my favorite times are my visits there at their offices. It's a great comfort to know that this FCI family, who are so knowledgeable about Fred's philosophy and working with children and families, are as invested in his legacy as I am. On the horizon is the Fred M. Rogers Center for Early Learning and Children's Media. It's still in the planning stages at St. Vincent College in Fred's hometown of Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Fred had been in on the early discussions for it, and I've been fascinated to be involved with so many of his friends and colleagues in forging a path for its development. Probably the best part of my work now is that I've met some wonderful people, and I've gotten to know them. We've kept in touch, calling now and then, exchanging emails, visiting when they're in town, sharing memories, jokes, and funny stories. People who know me know that I love to laugh. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just tell ourselves, okay, you've grieved. Your time to grieve is up. Now it's time to get your act together. But it's not like that for most of us. Some days I feel energized. Some days I feel depleted. Grieving can be exhausting. Since I was a child... I've had an irrational fear that if I start crying, I'll not be able to stop. Well, the tears do come sometimes when I'm alone and missing Fred. Sometimes tears of anger that he was taken from us too soon. But then I try to remember my overriding feeling at the time he went to heaven. That feeling of blessed relief that his pain and suffering were over. After Fred died, I didn't even have the energy or inclination to play the piano. For nine whole months, I didn't touch the keyboard. What brought me back was that Janine and I had a concert commitment. Journeys can be like that. When we're at an in-between time, something often happens to push us on towards taking a step or starting a new direction. So I finally started working at the piano again. And thankfully, my fingers remembered the feel of the piano keys. One of Fred's favorite writers was the theologian Henry Nowen. He had read almost all of his writings, and they became good friends. Through their long phone conversations, Fred was aware of the importance to Henry of what he called dying well. That's how Henry handled the end of his life a few years ago. It was what Fred wanted in his own life, too, to die well. I've often thought how proud Henry would be of the way Fred handled the end of his journey. He did it honestly, not denying it. When he told his long-term staff at FCI that he had been diagnosed with stomach cancer and was about to have surgery, he said, Here we are on another journey. At the end, it was his beloved heaven that gave him hope. 
One of our friends asked Fred about his thoughts on heaven when they were taking a walk on a Nantucket beach a few years ago. I'll bet there was a twinkle in his eye when he told her, Oh, I think there will be a lot of people surprised to see who's there. Fred would never want anyone to think they might not be worthy of getting through heaven's gate. His God loved everyone just the way they were. And we loved him too, just the way he was. Who you are right now. There are many times that I wish I had heard that just who you are at this moment, with the way that you're feeling, is fine. You don't have to be anything more than who you are right now. I'd like to think it's also something that's happened to me through the years, that I'm more able to accept myself as I happen to be, rather than as somebody thought I should be. Each person in the world is a unique human being, and each has a unique human potential. One of the important tasks of growing is the discovery of this uniqueness, the discovery of who I am in each of us, of who I am in relation to all those whom I meet. Anything that's human is mentionable, and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we're not alone. We can't be expected to leave the unhappy and angry parts of ourselves at the door before coming in. We all need to feel that we can bring the whole of ourselves to the people who care about us.